Payback Time is a podcast about building businesses, wealth, and financial freedom. We try to uncover the challenges our guests faced, the mistakes they made, and the steps they took to achieve their goals. The overall objective is to provide you with a roadmap that leads to your own success. Sean Tepper is your host. Are you ready? It's payback time. A lot of new investors in the stock market can be tempted to go after the quick buck with trading, but the reality is 99% of traders lose money. My next guest shares a story of how he got started in the market as well as how he transitioned to safe long-term investment strategies and even became a financial advisor. In this episode, we talk about what strategy he uses today, how he's handling the current bear market, his biggest investment success, his biggest investment mistake, and how he helps his customers navigate uncertainty. Please welcome James Woodall. James, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on, Sean. I'm really glad to be here. Glad to have you here. So why don't you kick us off and tell us about your background? Yeah, so I have kind of an interesting background from a point of view of a wealth manager. So uh, getting started in this, originally I was actually in engineering in uh, college and did all the fun classes like Cal 3, Physics 2, and realized I was terrible at them. And so I changed my major to uh, international economics and finance. And when I did that, I took a class based in the agriculture school of all places about futures and commodities trading. And basically from there, I learned how to trade the futures and commodities market from doing fundamental analysis to technical analysis. And I had no idea what I was doing. Um, There's a lot of guys in my class that are literally cotton farmers because I went to Texas Tech and Lubbock has all the cotton in the world. So I basically didn't know what I was doing was trading cotton futures, but I started trading S&P 500 futures. And started kind of picking up on that for a semester and did pretty well, made a 300% return in about a month, which is great. But then I realized it wasn't real money. So I was kind of upset, kind of bummed with myself. Um, but I used that knowledge and I started looking for jobs as soon as I graduated, seeing what I could do. And I grew up in the oil field. So, hey, let's try this financial sector out for a bit, see what happens. And so I ended up taking a job, uh, basically working in the tax and cost basis department at a large firm. And it was kind of interesting with that job because I sat at the very end of the investment spectrum where I saw what worked, what didn't work. I must have seen hundreds of thousands of accounts and saw people that are trying to day trade, weren't doing as well as people had the boring mutual funds that were actually just knocking out of the park. Um, That's when I started working with the family office style of people and saw what they did and started asking them questions and learned what they did. So... Uh, from there, I moved on to a product development analyst role where I kind of worked with advisors directly to see what they wanted to see on the tools. Um, but also, I always asked them questions because I had a passion about it. And then one day, I said, hey, you know, what? I think I want to be an advisor myself. And it was like a light bulb went off. Stress got away from my back. And then I went full throttle into being an advisor. So I've been doing this now for about seven years with about a decade of experience in the industry, just seeing what works, what doesn't work and uh, been off to the races and started the firm recently. And we're basically building family offices for individuals and families that may not be, may not have the $50 million minimum to have that. So we're building it for the the normal folks. Sure. Well, thank you for telling us about your background. I really love the quick comment there on, you know, the day traders weren't making money, but it was the people with the buy and hold strategy that were crushing it. Oh, absolutely. There was an individual, I'll never forget this. It was, he bought a dividend growth mutual fund 
1992, I think. And this is about 2012. And he was getting $30,000 dividends twice a year. Wow. He didn't do anything but put $7,000 in and just got that exponential growth, that compound growth. And that's when I saw it physically with my own eyes, what you hear Warren Buffett. And yeah. you know, all the guys are always quoted, you hear it, but when you physically see it, you kind of go, oh, now I get it. And that changed my entire mm-hmm. investment philosophy. Nice. Yeah, within our ticker onboarding, that is one of the things we call out because there's people who are a little confused on the two. They can get them kind of intermingled. And we are all about investing, not trading. The statistics are there that most traders lose money. We're all about the buy and hold strategy. And I know it's not glamorous up front because you're putting a little bit of money away every month is the goal, obviously. But over a few years and then over a decade, that's when you kind of, you want to go back in time and thank your younger self or, hey, thanks for doing that because my life is a whole lot better right now. Exactly. It's not exciting. And I think that's that trend we, I'm trying to, you know, really knock down. I believe you are as well is, you know, what you're seeing on TikTok and Reddit and all the people saying, hey, I made, you know, X amount of percentage. Well, what about the people that lost all the money? You don't hear from them. You really don't hear about them a lot. And those are the <laughs> ones that you kind of, you kind of worry about a little bit. Yes, yes. And the ones that do, you know, along their journey, they either had a really big loss or making up for, or that big loss is right around the corner because of uh, what is old saying? Pride comes before the fall. Oh, that yeah. moment is about to hit. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's happened to me and I've seen it happen to others. It's don't be greedy. If you have an investment strategy, yep. stick with it. That's why it's a strategy. <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah. Well, before we jump into your practice and how you help your customers, what I'd like to do is talk about your journey a little bit more. So it's really good to know you worked as a professional in this space, you know, commodities, futures, then you got into an analyst type role. But let's talk about specifically, when did you start investing in the stock market? So I want to say I started myself personally uh, right out of college because then I finally had money to afford more than just beer and groceries. And so I started uh, trading at the company I was at and I started investing in being stupid because I, well, I had my 401k and I was putting money away in that, letting the company get that taken care of. I was thinking, I'm a day trader. I can do this. I'm smarter than everybody else. I was trading penny stocks and got mm-hmm. burned multiple times. And then also, but I was also buying, you know, good quality companies. Like at the time, GE was a pretty good company. Sure. But I realized I didn't have enough money to truly invest. And what I mean by that is I was putting in like $25 at a time. Mm. And while it's a great place to start, especially now, I feel like the industry's really built out products that make that happen. I was buying a handful of shares and it'd, like, it'd be great that I made a 50% return, but it was only $12. Right. Was how much risk was I taking? You know, where was my money better spent? to do something else. And honestly, the stress and the time. Uh, you know, I was being distracted from my job because I'm too busy looking at the market, trying to follow you know, the technical analysis and make that quick extra buck. And honestly, I lost the money the entire time I did it. Wow. wow. So so kind of got tired of doing it that way. What year was this around? Uh, I'd say this around 2012. Okay. Um, 2012, post, 2013. Post-recession. Got it. Yeah, definitely post-recession, but it was because I was trying to time the market. Yeah. You know, I said, oh, I'm going to buy this. And I think this news is coming out. And reality is already probably priced in at that point. So that's why I wasn't buying good quality things. I was just trying to follow momentum, follow sure. the volume, and just place those trades. Gotcha. So you started with penny stocks. Fun, because there's a lot of people that join Ticker that have been there, done that. And now they're like, now I want to actually take this serious and make some real serious money over time. So 
when did you kind of change your strategy and what did that strategy kind of turn into? So I probably changed my strategy after I remember American Airlines. Um, so I worked in that cost-based department that happened. You got to remember that was a company that's effectively bankrupt that went into the S&P 500. And all of a sudden, people are calling complaining that they made too much money and they had to pay taxes on it. And I went, well, this is interesting. Why is this happening? So I started looking around, you know, what's going on? What am I missing? And I realized that I wasn't diversified enough. So I started looking at mutual funds and ETFs where I would dollar cost average into there a lot. And then I started learning more about the mutual funds. So everyone talks about the S&P 500, excuse me, but then I learned about some smaller companies, you know, in the small to mid cap range, particularly the ones that are values. So those value-based companies are typically underpriced, but good performers. So I started changing my investment strategy to see, okay, especially the time, you know, the financial crisis was close enough where the management was typically the same. It was who was performing well? Who was doing good? And that's how I started changing my strategy. And then I found mutual fund managers that were doing the same thing to where I could have them do it for me, essentially. Well, I focused on my career. And so effectively, I can have more money, continue to grow my career, to invest more in the stock market, and get that compounding return. And that's really where I changed it. And then also, you know, continuing to try to max up my 401k. That was a huge part of it because just taxes. That's when I started learning about how taxes can eat you alive at the end of the day if you don't really plan for it. Yes. I love that strategy there. Two two great call-outs. One is uh, pay attention to taxes. Um, There's a lot of people that don't think about that. And then two is the maximizing of the 401k, especially, you know, there's certain people out there in the market that'll say, well, 401k, I'm not going to, you know, do that because the fees or, or whatever issue they run into. And it's like, Hey, if you can get a company match, that's free money coming into your account. It's substantial. Like I was doing the math for someone the other day. So we think about time and compounding interest. Like that guy was getting the $30,000 dividends. Mm -hmm. So I was doing this with a client where she's 34 and we typically plan the age of death is 94, which is, well, I don't really need the retirement money for me, but I want to get to my kids. And she had issues with insurance. It's like, well, here's a cool story. So we said, if we put in $6,000 a year and you get an 8% return, which is effectively, we say the S&P 500, mm-hmm. um, when you pass away, that's seven, about $7 million, substantial wow. sum of money. Well, if you think about it even further, yeah, 10 years on because of the uh, rules with retirement accounts is you have to take the money out in 10 years. If we tell your kids to plan out that you're not going to touch that money for 10 years, that $7 million becomes $17 million. How crazy is that? That's the compound interest at its best. Exactly. And I was like, as the rules are today, now, hey, things may change, you know, 50, yep. 60, 70 years on the road, but that's $17 million mm-hmm. tax-free for your kids. What's that going to do to your life? Imagine getting that chunk of change. Yes. How does that change the trajectory of your life? Right, right. Beautiful. That particular client of yours in great position, long-term horizon, really thinking ahead, probably has a stable income, strong financial acumen, Yeah, checking all the boxes. Yep. Exactly. I'm curious here because Ticker is all about investing in individual stocks. Do you invest mm-hmm. in individual stocks yourself? Me personally, I don't. And the reason why is that I'm just, honestly, it's, I'm so busy. It's like, where can I put my time be, to be the best? Although I do have clients that have very large single stock positions. Sure. So I'll do the research for them and understand what are we going to do? Where are we at? Uh, typically, these are folks that worked at these companies. So when it comes to single stock positions, it's okay, where do we, in, in a lot of their cases, because they're older, is 
how do we manage the risk? You know, what happens if 50% of your portfolio is one company and while they're a great company and you've been with them for years, I don't want you to live and die by them. So right. typically I'll do a lot of research on them, understand where they're at. And I'll ask them if they, you know, what's your thoughts and feels on the company? Like, what do you know? Uh, Cause they're going to be more intimate with it at that point yep. while they've left, you know, they, they know the culture of the company better than any, you know, reporting can typically find. But that's also a thing. And then we started looking at how we protect that by using options to protect the downside sure. or anything like that. But something I'm trying to look a little bit more into as well with individual companies. I just haven't gotten the time to do it yet, to be honest with you. Sure, sure. Uh, not not to sell the platform, but Ticker will be a big time saver for you. I'm really curious about Ticker. I'm really, <laughs> I really am curious. Like I'm not even like lying. I'm definitely going to be checking it out later today and seeing how we can incorporate it into my platform because... Uh, there's lots of opportunities with individual companies. I've seen a lady, um, she had five or six companies. That was all she had in her portfolio mm-hmm. um, for 30, 40 years. And it was actually kind of a, a challenge that we had because she bought very good, high quality companies like Apple. Uh, GE was one of them, I think. Yep. I think she got Amazon was very, very, oh, very wow. young company. Yeah. <laughs> But she also, but the challenge was right because she wasn't rebalancing effectively or dollar cost mm-hmm. averaging. Uh, it was well, we need to sell one of these shares for you to fund your income, but the tax burden was so high. It's like, how do we do this in a smart manner? So it was a different challenge, you know, thirty yeah. years down the road, forty years down the road. So that's when the rebalancing really does make sense, and it always have those additional lots. Let's before we move on to some of the other questions on on your investing journey, let's drill into that because there are people that they do have just a bundle of stocks. For example, with Ticker, you know, I, I'd really take this advice from Warren Buffett and it's worked out really well is keep a really focused portfolio, like about 10 to 15 stocks. So I hold about 10 right now, but there's people that have less, maybe a little more. And some of their holdings get big, like really big, like Amazon, for example, or Tesla. I've ran into a few people yeah. there. Their Tesla has taken up so much of their weighted allocation. What do you do in those circumstances? So with this woman, could you walk us through, what did you do for her? So she had a unique situation. So if you're looking for income, let's say let's say you have Tesla, for example. Uh, I have some friends at Tesla <clears throat> and they're, they have the same situation. Well, I need income. Well, how do I start generating income? Do I sell these stocks and have a massive gain and pay taxes on that? Or you can also sell underlying options. So I like options to the point of protection and income generating. So if you sell a call option, you're making a premium on that payment. And that's going to be your income, especially for these large stock positions. And that's a great way to generate income. And then if you randomly get assigned, it's entirely random across the industry. There's no if, this, or then. You can generate income through there. If you get assigned, you give away your shares, you're fine. Tax burden is usually pretty manageable. Uh, another thing to do as well is to buy put options because you want to protect that downside risk. Yeah. Because let's say, uh, this might be a terrible example, but let's say Elon Musk, you know, all of a sudden has a stroke. You know, he is Tesla, Tesla is him. That's a large risk factor. So you yes. need to protect that downside by having those put options because once it goes down, you can buy it again at a lower price and you're protected. You still keep your right. essentially asset level. Um, that's a big thing to do. It's very common across the industry. It's what I learned actually with the family office folks that I worked with early on was they didn't lose money. And that was how they did not lose money was by protecting the downside. I, I love it. Two points to extract there. As, as real quick, we'll hit that last one is Warren Buffett's rule, rule one, which Phil Town speaks to a lot. Rule one, don't lose money. Rule two, yeah. don't forget rule one. one of my <laughs> exactly. Favorites. 
one of, one of my favorites. One of my favorite things about Warren Buffett too is I heard this recently. I remember I read it in one of his books in college. Was uh, I always say about Mr. Market? Have you ever heard that? I love Mr. Market, where he's like, "Don't get in the head of a crazy person. Just understand that they have their good days and bad days. Yes, generally they're pretty good, and they just find the ones that are really good for you." Yes, yes, nice. And thanks for pointing out uh, your interest in options there. I do try to steer a lot of customers, our customers away from a lot of option strategies because there's a lot of risk and you can lose money. But you did mention mm-hmm. selling calls. You were referring to covered calls. Yeah, covered calls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that strategy where you you sell at a strike price. Just to summarize for the audience right here, if they don't already know, you sell at a strike price. Let's say a stock's at $100, a strike price is 105 If it never hits 105 over a duration of, let's say, 30 days, you get paid a premium. In other words, you get paid money just to hold that stock. But on the other hand, if it goes from 100 to 105 in 30 days, your shares sell. In other words, you make money either way. It's just the second way when it sells, that's when you'll have a tax event to think about. Not a big deal, but if you're, it sounds like you with your customers, you do smaller contract sizes. So it's not like the whole, exactly. the whole nest egg, if you will. Exactly. Because what could happen too is depending on the volatility in the markets, like what we're having now, those option premiums can almost be the point where if you're selling, it's pretty good. But if you're buying, it, it, it's almost like you're spending so much money to protect against mm-hmm. some downside risk that it's not worth it. So that's also the game you got to play too, is how much are you willing to watch drop? How much are you willing to protect the downside against? Because the closer you are to that strike price or the current price, the more you're going to pay in that premium. Yep. Yeah. Nice. No, that's that's, great. Definitely safer option strategy right there. Not not some of the high risk stuff you hear about. Exactly. All right. So let's keep moving on here. Next question is, um, when was your last investment? Are you investing every month? Yes. Yeah, so I still invest every month, even though I'll get the company started and a lot of the investments honestly in the business itself. You know, I'm still a big believer in dollar cost averaging. So right now it's a lot lower amount that simply just goes into a Roth and hey, we're putting it in there and just putting it into the market. So I'll look at the market today. You know, what are we down? Yeah, we're down one and a half percent. This is going to be a good day to say, hey, let's go buy some things for cheap. Yeah. Uh, you know, like we always say when there's blood in the water, it's a good time to buy. And everyone always looks back, you know, five, 10 years on the road and goes, shut up. Right, right. Yeah, so definitely preaching what I was. So. Yeah, it, it, exactly. We're, we're big on that too, is, you know, right now is the best buying opportunity we've seen since 2008. Prior to that would have been the dot-com bust. Mm-hmm. You could count like COVID had the short dip in 2020, really short downturn, had to act oh, fast. Wow. Yeah. Yep. That was a while. <laughs> that, that was a good one too. Um, but good to hear you're buying now. With your stocks you're buying now, you have a unique situation because you have a business. How old is your practice, your own business? So we're about a year old. You are, okay. Right there, yep. So firm's very new, which is great because it allows me the flexibility to do these things, you know, do the podcasting and everything. Sure, sure. Um, so the firm's definitely new. So certainly taking advantage of the tax point of view on that, you know, gets the, the other income. So that definitely helps. Gotcha. No, that's good to know. And and you're still, even though you get a new business, a new service business, you are still investing. I'm curious here, what percentage of your income do you invest every month? Would you say five percent? If okay. that, you know, it's a lower amount for sure. Um, okay. Because let's hey, let's look at the real picture of it. Is is it's a new company, so you have certainly cash flow. Yep. And also, you have crazy inflation right now. Still doesn't mean you don't need to be investing and still taking advantage of it because. 
Right. That's how you build wealth. There's got to be disciplined. Um, I do this with my clients where we have you know automatic drafts go in and automatic investments in the portfolios because once you make that one-time excuse to not do it, then you start saying, well, it's not the right time to do it. Well, I don't want to do it tomorrow. Well, I think the market is too high now. You never know where it's going to go. So that's why you got to stay disciplined. And stay disciplined. Keep. It's it's everything. Keep buying. Yeah, that's a thing customers all hear. They're, they're sitting on the sidelines. And I've talked to brokers, actually. It's a problem they face. There's a lot of investors. They'll join. They'll put in between like $100 and $1,000. And they'll sit and they'll think. I'm going to jump in now. It's like sitting or standing on the edge of a swimming pool. I'm going to, I'm going to do it now. No, I'm gonna, and then they wait four weeks or six weeks. Okay, I'm going to do it. No, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait another four weeks. And then three months, six months, 12 months goes by and they barely put in any money. And that's just big opportunity cost of them sitting on the sideline and not yes. getting in the game. The opportunity cost right there. And I think right. that's something that people don't talk about enough is like we were talking about earlier, right? With the Roth IRA and all that time. Well, you're still losing that time and maybe you're buying things, maybe a little bit too high, but no one's good at timing the market. And the unfortunate thing is typically people sell at the bottom and they start <laughs> panicking. Uh, I saw that, you know, in March of during COVID. Well, I'll never forget people were, I mean, is is right near the bottom of it. And people are panicking. It's like, turn off the news, turn off the news. You're gonna be okay. I promise you're gonna be okay. And those that stayed said, Thank you so much. And those that just could not handle it. That we're just two we're people, right? It happens to the best of us. We're so ingrained into you know the end of the world. They sold everything, and unfortunately, then it became well. Now, when do I buy back in? How do I be right twice? And not just you might get lucky right. every once in a while, but it's just, unfortunately, it just doesn't happen. Right, right. Your best bet is situations like that, and we've we've done our homework, you know. Especially, you know, I, I was looking back and I found an article. I think it was from either Forbes or CNN, but it talked about over the last hundred years. The last 19 major bear markets, average length is about nine months. So uh-huh. that tells us, like, just hang on. Just ride the roller coaster down a little bit. Buy what you can, but just understand this is not going to sustain to the end of time. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's what I tell folks. It's like the number one biggest behavior is faith in the future. Because you're investing. You're not speculating. You're not gambling. You're investing. And good companies are smart. These guys right. are smart. They are adaptable. They can adjust quickly. And then those that are very good companies will do well. I think after the average return on a bear market is about 20% for the next yes. year or so after. So that's when you know, a lot of my folks are now we're doing Roth conversions because you still have the same amount of shares, taking less money over, being very efficient, and then you get to enjoy that ride up. And then now with the new law coming in, that I think they're going to try to raise it to 75 for your required minimum distribution. Your tax rate is going to shoot up dramatically. You're going to make it losing more money overall because you have to pay the taxes. Right. So right. be smart and be and take advantage of these times when you can. Right. Let's take a quick commercial break. Have you ever lost money in the stock markets? Maybe you heard or saw a comment on YouTube, TikTok, Reddit, or another social platform. Or maybe you just received bad advice from a friend. Yeah, I think we've all been there. Most people lose money in the stock market because they make decisions based on emotions. What if you could remove emotions from investing? What if you could make consistent returns in the stock market based solely on logic? And what if there's a software that handled that logic for you? Introducing Ticker, a platform that helps you manage your own investments with confidence. Get started today with a free trial. Visit ticker.com. That's T-Y-K-R.com. Again, ticker. 
www.thinkandgrowthradio.com. Um, can you share with us your biggest investment success over the years? Was it maybe an individual stock or a mutual fund or maybe your own business? It was actually my house, to be honest with you. Um, well, I typically, well, I guess I have two good ones. So I bought into a mutual fund in particular um, that shot up, I think it tripled in price within two years. Um, wow. Tesla was a big part of that when Tesla was shooting up. Um, then I sold it at the high just because I was like, you know what? This is too much risk. I, I don't want to do risk. So I got very lucky. I'll be the first to say it. But I did very well in that. But also with my house, um, I knew looking at the fundamentals of where I was living, that everything was moving out west, that I had found a property that had a larger yard in the rest of the neighborhood and effectively doubled the value of my house in four years. Wow. So sold at that point, did okay on it. So that's what's helped me fund the company and got it moving from there. Um, also, thinking about the 401ks, um, just honestly thinking about that, how much I've put in there, thankfully the company match, which is huge. Mm-hmm. And just really boring, consistent investment. And it first year, you don't see anything. And then it's that right. second, third year, you start looking back, year five, you go, oh, this is kind of cool. And you get that snowball effect, and also you keep doing that. Those have probably been some of my best ones. I think some others that were kind of surprising. Those are pretty good. Yeah, those with, are pretty good ones. <laughs> that kind of worked out. With the real estate one, that's, you know, I hear people all the time talk about, oh man, I should just sell my house right now. But the issue is wherever you re-enter, you know, that price is inflated as well. So yes. what did you do in that circumstance? Did you go to like a rental situation or you just downsize your house or what'd you do? Yeah. So I went and rented, you know, a good size loft that way and kind of work out of it as well. Because what I realized was when I bought the house, I went, okay, I'm paying so much money in rent that I got mad. I was actually kind of like kicking things like all grumpy and everything. I said, okay, let's go buy a house. It ended up being cheaper to buy a house. And I thought, okay, well, if I break even on the house, at least get my money back. So I did that, started investing it or, or, uh, renovating it and then sold it. Um, now that came the question is where do I go next? But I knew buying that house, it was an investment. It was not a home that I was buying and that's how I treated it. So I knew that, Hey, I'm going to sell this to do something. I don't know what yet, but to do something and it ended up being to start my business. Right. And so that's how it's funding everything and getting it going from there. And it's a tough game because you, like you said, where do you go next? And that's a very mm-hmm. hard thing, especially here in Dallas at the time. Uh, when I sold my house, it must have had 30 offers on it within the day because wow. there was just nothing available. But now with the interest rates rising, it kind of sort of looked pretty good. Now it's like, hey, where are we where are we sort of looking around next? There's a lot more homes for sale and people are really ready to get rid of those illiquid assets. Right on, right on. No, thanks for providing context there. Um, let's flip that equation here. Those are some of your best investments. What was, can you share with us one of your biggest investment mistakes or something you aren't so proud of, but would be willing to share? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I thought I was real cool, real smart and started buying triple leveraged ETFs. Um, so I bought the S&P 500 triple leveraged ETF. Uh, there's a handful of them out there. So y'all can kind of figure out which ones they are. <laughs> Bottom of that was doing okay on it. And then I got greedy. And have an exit strategy and I was up quite a bit, you know, looking at the technical analysis and thinking, okay, maybe it's time to sell, but I got greedy and I probably lost all my gains and then some within two days. Wow. Uh, so that's when I kind of learned, hey, don't, you know, get greedy, kind of reiterate, don't get greedy. And then also, you know, have an exit strategy, have a plan, know when to cut your costs because it can, you know, it can bite you. 
Right, right. No, thanks for sharing that. Well, let's talk about your practice a little bit. Um, what kind of services do you offer? What do you do for your customers? Yeah, so we're a full services financial firm. So what we do is basically here's kind of the story how it works. I chat with clients and understand where they want to be. If it's a business, generally speaking, we work through retirement plans, how we build a retirement plan for your business, taking those gains out or any employee benefits. But when you're an individual that happens to own one, what we do is say, okay, let's go build you a family office. And what does it start with? So it's, what do you want out of life? Um, so I always ask people three very difficult questions. And just very quickly, they are, if you win the lottery, what what's your life look like? Um, let's say you win the lottery, but you have five or 10 years to live. What's that change? And let's say you win the lottery, but the doctor missed something, you only have a day. What does that look like? Because I want to know the values that you are based on. And then once we understand your family values and what you want out of life, we start building a plan around that. Um, because there's times that happen where maybe you do want the house and tell you ride, but maybe you can't afford it. But you want to be in the mountains. You want to be able to, you know, go spend time with your family. Where's the next best option? Yes. So I build a plan around that. And then from there it becomes, well, let's go get the investments to match what your risk tolerance is, as well as your time horizon. So building custom portfolios from there, as well as understanding how we get the rest of the family and building the estate plan. And then something that I'm really excited to start doing this year is having the family retroactive. So like, software sales, right? So when we're doing like agile planning, you know, we're doing, we reflect on the year, reflect on the sprint, same yep. thing when we're doing financial plan. And so I kind of like to do at the end of the year for Thanksgiving or Christmas is reflect on time with the family. What worked, what didn't work? What do we need to change? And that's, I think, something that's a little bit more unique about what we're doing because it's really more focused on the family relationship than just trying to sell you a stock. Right, right. I love the screening questions right up front to understand the values. You know who you're working with them. That's smart. It's a fun one. I did them last night. We had a late night conversation with some friends and uh, everyone's crying. I mean, you're crying a lot. It's, it's, it can be very emotional. It's very yeah. fascinating to see what happens as you kind of go through that process because we're people. We skip ahead. You know, we think, okay, I'm going to win the lottery. I'm going to do this, this, and this, but, or I'm going to go make a million dollars in my company. That's awesome. But let's walk through the steps of getting to that point first. Yep. And then once you kind of realize that, you can really build a plan. Then you understand the values and what. And maybe they, you know, reflect it too, because maybe they haven't had that conversation. Sure. I know your business is relatively new, but have you ever gone through the screening questions and said, hey, I don't think we're going to be good working together? Were you no, I, tr I tried to get there a little bit before that with like a quick pre-screening call. Okay. Um, <laughs> but what's fascinating about those questions is there's a lot of similarities. So... It comes down to, oh, I want to go travel. I want to go see these great places. And, you know, and some people are very specific down to the address of where they want to buy their house. But then you start, you know, reflecting time because, hey, I want to spend time with my family. I want to get my kids taken care of. And then the last day is always a fascinating one. It's, I want to get whoever's near me. I want to spend time and quality time with those folks. And then that's when I can find occasions of people I really want to work with. Uh, thankfully, I've been very fortunate so far. I haven't had to have that point sure. where people are like, Ah, uh, we'll get rid of these guys. You don't want to go, you know, go crazy. That hasn't, ha hasn't happened yet. But hey, if that's what you want. I'm not here to judge you on that. Sure, <laughs> sure. No, I, I had asked. That's uh, that can be a interesting situation, I imagine. But uh, sounds like you're running into the right people. You know, service business. That's one thing. You know, before I started ticker, this is going back many years. Is I had to make that choice. Like, do I want to? use this Excel sheet pre-ticker and, and create like a family practice or my 
own wealth management firm or do I want to create a software business? And of course, being in software so long, I always dreamed of having a SaaS business. So it was an easy answer, but the thought did cross my mind for a minute. Like what, let's walk through that situation. I, I was actually walking myself through those conversations with some customers and, and you run into people that maybe they're high maintenance clients, you know, in, in the world of tech, we'll call them high maintenance employees and mm-hmm. they can make your life a nightmare. And I'm like, gosh, I just, uh, I got a client that I got to talk off edge every other day. It's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Um, when I worked at previous firms, we had some of those clients and mm-hmm. they meant well, they, they truly did. And it, I think it was just that for whatever reason, you know, you know, watching the news, especially during COVID was definitely the most interesting. Yes. It was okay. Hey, why are we wouldn't drop off the edge? But that's kind of the fun psychology piece too, because you learn about their parents, their family. Because I would always ask right. questions that were sometimes inappropriate. You know, hey, like tell me about your parents. Like does this happen to your parents? And then you start hearing these fascinating stories. Uh, there's one guy who said, "Yeah, my parents sold out of everything during the financial crisis, and they can never get their money back." And I went, "Hey, you're, you're kind of doing the same thing, whether you realize it or not." And it's just light bulb went off. Right? Yeah. It happens. I mean, we, we're our parents. So whether you realize yes. it or not. Yeah, that's that's a good one. That's interesting. They, they witnessed the pain and they still were going down the same road to make the same mistake. Unbelievable. Yeah. Didn't have the mental models or maybe have bad advice or maybe your parents, because your parents always want you to do the best, right? Maybe your parents right. were whispering in his ear, hey, you should sell out. I sold out and lose all my money. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's, there's a lot more psychology at play in wealth management than people truly realize because emotions drive decisions. Right, right. Well, thank you for giving us background on on your background in investing as well as what your practice does. And of course, at the end of the episode, you can uh, share with the audience where they can reach you. But first, let's jump into the rapid fire round. We got a few fun questions here. I'm excited. We get to find out who James really is. (laughs) If you can, try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less. You ready? Absolutely. All right. What is your favorite podcast? Lately, it's been Two Bears, One Cave. Never heard of it. With uh, Burt Kreischer and Tom Segura. Uh, it's pretty funny. Check it out on YouTube. There's some really good clips that will definitely get you laughing. Is it, is this comedy focused, I imagine? Yep. Definitely comedy focused. Sometimes it's nice just to take a breather. Yes. Shut the brain off for a moment. That's great. Yep. Um, what is a recent book you read and would recommend? Uh, this book sitting right next to me is, what is this one? Wealth of Wisdom. Top okay. 50 Questions that wealthy families ask. That's been amazing. Um, it's truly helped me better define my firm and what services we're providing. Wealth of wisdom. I love it. Yep. I'm going to add that to my wish list right now. Definitely. And I'll even double down on that. Another good one is uh, Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Love that book. Yeah. yeah. That's probably, I think that's what planted the seed to get me started, honestly. The interview I loved the most out of that book was actually because I didn't know who Jocko was, Jocko Willink. Yeah, I love Jocko. Yeah. Oh, man. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> I remember I listened to that podcast with him. And I was like sweating listening to it. I'm like, this guy is like, is he in my ears? Like, who is this? <laughs> Good. He's motivating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to go like run through a concrete wall. And right. To that one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what is that video, that really popular one that came out? Um, Good, I think it's called. Good. Yeah. Yes. I think I'm going to watch that today now. To the To the listeners out there, if you haven't watch this, look up Jocko Willing, good. And it's really the way you position, no matter what happens to you, you miss a job interview or you, you don't get that promotion or or your business doesn't work out. Good. Good. Get better. Learn how to do it better. Yep. Yep. 
everything happens for a reason, essentially. It's, it's really motivating. Oh yeah. I'm getting goosebumps right now. Actually I thinking know. about that. It's right? that good. It's, oh man, I get motivated. It's the best. <laughs> it is the best. We're like David Goggins will get you going too. Yes. He's another one. Yep. Yep. Um, here's a good question. What is your favorite movie? Oh, my favorite movie sounds terrible, especially with what I do, but Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> really? It's, yeah. It's just, it's, it's not about the money side. It was just a great film. Like I took film classes in college. Okay. Like, I think it's a very complete movie and I think it's hilarious um, just because maybe I can probably relate to it more than others. But yeah, I just, for the reason I love that movie. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because a lot of people do look at the surface level from, you know, it's, it's a movie about money, but it's not, it's about people and, and this, um, this hustle fake guru society and, you know, Jordan Belfort, his story from the, what was it? The late eighties, early nineties, I think. Yep. It's, and Martin Scorsese, you know, his track record is unbelievable. Nails it. It, yeah, that's the big thing. It's not about that transaction thing. At least that's not what, you know, we do, but right. it's just a great, complete film. It's hilarious. It's, it is yeah. absolutely hilarious. Jonah Hill's teeth in that movie were great. <laughs> John Bernthal. <laughs> yeah, I love yes. his character in that too. Anyway, we, we could talk about that one. It's, it's a great, it is a great movie. Yes. Great movie. All right, we got some business questions here. First one is, what is the worst business or investment advice you ever received? Oh, God. The worst advice I've ever received was, don't plan for retirement. That's planning to fail. My, my reaction was just like yours. I went, what? And they're like, yeah, you should be successful. Sell your business. And I went, uh, I think there's better ways to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. I would, I would have the same reaction. Wow. All right. We'll flip the equation here. What is the best business or investment advice you ever received? The best advice I've ever received when thinking about the investments and business was do what you're passionate about, but also what you're good at. Because you may be a passionate painter, but if you're terrible at it, you're not going to do well. You're not going to live a fulfilled life. <laughs> you're not going to make a living. <laughs> exactly. And I think that was the best thing was be passionate, but be good at it too. Yes. Yes. That's great. Yeah. And last question here is the time machine question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit? And what would you say? Oh, I would say, kind of ironic, uh, I would say uh, as soon as I started college, don't go into engineering. Uh, you're going to waste a, you know, a year and a few summers of missing internships and start at Tech's College of Financial Planning because on story about that, I tried to get into it. They said my GPA was 0.01 below. I told them kick rocks and here I am doing financial planning. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yep. <laughs> very, uh, very similar. I won't, I'll keep it really short here. But I originally went to school for architecture because I took architecture classes in college that were on computers. I get to college, realized there were no computer classes. You had to be good at model building and drawing. And then they said only the top percent will actually, top 10% will find jobs. And I was like, I'm in the bottom 10% with drawing and model building. Oh, no. Fast forward. So I left that and I switched to fine arts because I actually wanted to go into movies and then got into tech. That's a whole different story. But um, what's interesting is one of my buddies, he's an architect today. He's been out of school for 15 years. And he's like, Sean, you know how many models and how many drawings I've done professionally? Zero. 
Oh, that's a, that's a whole conversation about you listen to your teachers or the guys in the business, like who that's you really it. listen to. Yep. That's it, right? <laughs> yeah, it all worked out. But um, if I would have known that back then, I probably would have tried to stick it out. But I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad I chose the, chose the path I did. But that's funny. Your story is very similar. Yeah. So anyway, um, where can the audience reach you? Uh, there's a handful of ways to find me. Uh, my website is woodallwealthmanagement.com, and it's a mouthful. Uh, it's W-O-O-D-A-L-L. I tell people, hey, give me a call. You know, I, I have no problem putting my phone number out there. It's at 214-281-4496. I'm not going to sell you anything. Honestly, just like to chat with people and meet some new folks. You know, something I can do to help you out, let me know. Uh, I think I have an Instagram page now, Woodall Wealth Management. So trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to make that work. <laughs> still slowly learning the, the social media side from a business sure sure <laughs> well thank you so much and we'll make sure we get some of these links posted when we do promote your episode but yeah really appreciate your backstory and and your journey here in investing it's been a lot of fun we'll have to have you on again for sure likewise can't wait to come back on and it's been absolute pleasure i'm uh really excited to see what comes of this awesome well thanks james we'll see you thanks john <laughs> Hey, I just want to say thanks for checking out this podcast. I know your time is valuable and there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to. So thanks for taking the time to listen to my guest's story. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, could you head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review? That would be much appreciated. Thank you. And last but not least, on this podcast, uh, some episodes we do talk about stocks. And please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So if you did hear any buy or sell recommendations, please don't make those decisions based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya.